Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and this is our show for the week of April 1st, 2019. On the show today, a whole bunch of news. And in our second from the last episode of the Chronological Disneyland series, Jim talks about DCA as it gets up off the ground. But first, let's bring in the man whose voice can be heard saying, I think we just missed my floor in the Tower of Terror drop shaft soundtrack when Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? It's going well, Len. It's going well. Before we step away from Tower of Terror, though, I, I want to share the one gag that the Imagineers to this day wish they'd been able to pull off at, at Tower of Terror. All right. You know how you're in the drop shaft and you know, your vehicle then backs into the unload area? Right. Rod Serling says like a uh, little tip, uh, something they won't read in any guidebook. Yeah. One of the things they wanted to do was have a ventriloquist dummy in the storage area. And, oh. and the idea was that just, you know, on a random, every three drops, as you were getting off, they, they would deliberately time it so that as people were getting off and sort of looking, glancing at the side, the ventriloquist dummy's head was going to turn. Not say anything. Just turn. Just turn. All right. <laughs> Wasn't there an episode? There was a there was a there was an episode with a ventriloquist dummy, right? Let's not forget about the chatty Kathy one. I'm going to kill you. <laughs> you oh, know, it's right. Like, yeah. Oh, that would have been perfect. They can still do that too. All things are possible with Imagineering. It's just the yeah. question of, in fact, <laughs> tying in with what we'll be talking about chronological Disney wise. It's like money. You have to actually have some money to do that. All, all things are possible with time and money. There it's we true. Go. So. All right, you have a quick listener question. Uh, last week, you mentioned Bob Iger's comments about Disney's uh, new streaming service, Disney Plus, and that it'll uh, get rid of the idea of the the Disney Vault. Mm -hmm. Two readers sent in the exact same question: Will this include Song of the South? On April eleventh, Disney is doing a giant presentation on how exactly Disney Plus is going to work. And the Song of the South question continues to be kicked around, even out ahead of this huge pronouncement, because Iger himself has said in shareholders meetings, it's like, we get this question all the time. In fact, once Iger actually joked on stage that backstage they took bets about how long into the question and answer period it would be before somebody stood up and asked about Song of the oh, South. Sure. That's how often they get asked about it. And Iger's like, look, I've looked at it. And, you know, every couple of years I go back, I look at it again and I say, I just don't think this film works in today's world. And, you know, I just think it, I, it causes more problems than it would solve by making this thing available to animation yeah. fans. But there are now discussions about doing with this, with Song of the South, sort of what Warner Brothers did with what they refer to as the forbidden... 13 there's a bunch of, oh, of those cartoons from the uh from the 30s the 40s. and 40s yeah 40s. It, oh, especially geez. during the war years the yeah. the ones of the japanese uh, troops and that sort of thing and just the whole notion of if you start off the film with a slide to the effect of this reflects the the views of the period it does not reflect the modern disney company if people are willing to pay that closes the deal for them going to sign up for disney plus yeah, Song of the South may, in fact, finally make it out of the deepest, darkest portion of the vault. But Iger is not really enthusiastic about this. No. I mean, on the one hand, the, the people he'd be making happy would be the cl completists, right? Mm -hmm. The people who 
you know, want to see it publicly available. Well, speaking of which, do you have to tell folks about what Matthew M. shared with us? <laughs> right. So we have a alert reader, uh, Matthew M., says that apparently on River Street in Savannah, Georgia, there's a gift shop that somehow stocks and sells actual copies of the DVD. He writes in that uh, when he saw it, his eyes lit up as if he had seen Abraham Lincoln riding, uh, riding a unicorn, which I think is a fairly, uh, fairly apt but mixed metaf uh, metaphor there, mm -hmm. some symbology anyway. I have no idea where they're getting this from because I don't think Disney's making them, but here's the thing. I mean, they're available. If you know where to look, mm -hmm. James, yep. you can find a copy of the, uh, of the movie, right? It's not that, that hard. It Actually, it's available in Japan. In, in fact, Japan, exactly, yeah. So many of the bootlegs that have turned up stateside are copies of the Laserdisc that was available in Japan. And I would imagine in Blu-ray or 4K, it's also available in the same format. So, Oh, so hold up. So I didn't ask this question then. So you're saying that Disney makes Song of the South available outside the United States? Oh, absolutely. Wait a second. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on. Yeah. Are you sure about that? Oh, yes, yes. Disney, makes, Disney actively makes Song of the South available outside of the United States. It made Song of the South. Oh, it made. Okay, yeah, okay. not anymore. Okay, yeah, all right, fair enough. Okay. I will have to check, because I remember going to a friend's house, and, and literally he was, you know, I, I've never seen him prouder. He had the, the Japanese laser disc of Song of the South, and I know he made a billion copies of it, so. I had the laser disc as well from a friend of a friend of a friend thing. There we it's, go. Uh, so. I, I watched it once and sent it back. I just, I needed to be able to say it. Okay. All right, Jim, let's do a quick shout out to subscribers over at DisneyDish.Bandcamp.com. Thanks to new subscribers, Mago Viejo, Dan, and Ross N, and longtime subscribers, Jay Fazio 8, Stoneman, and Vincent F. True story, Jim. These six people once drove cross country in a Tomorrowland Speedway car. They only had two guide reels to work with, so one person would drive, and the other five would take turns picking up the guide reel on the back and putting it in front of the car. Jay Fazio says that the downhill part of the Rocky Mountains was quite the challenge. <laughs> I, I love that image. You know that. that uh, by the way, that that in the um, what is it? Uh, Legoland, Florida has just opened its new Lego Movie World Land, or whatever they're mm -hmm. calling it. And there's a wonderful film that they show at that park where it's a road race, but it's a road race between a pharaoh being carried and a chariot and a, a car. And a, at one point, the car veers off the road and there were these two frantic Lego characters who are running ahead, building the road out of bricks. And it's just sort of like, <laughs> that's what immediately comes to mind with the guide rail. <laughs> just sort of like, that's exactly right it's, there. That's fantastic. All right, Jim, let's do some uh, some news. The uh, Disney Dish News is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Disney Dish podcast. For a worry-free travel experience every time, book online at storybookdestinations.com. Jim, all shows should begin with a round of self-congratulations. Here's a couple of things that we got right recently. Uh, number one, last week we said that based on how it looks from the outside, there was no way that the NBA experience was going to open in June in Disney Springs. A few days later... That opening was pushed back to August 12th, 2019. Did you see this? No, but again, I think both you and I are both A, not surprised, and I'm taking money on that, that they're gonna, they're actually going to make that date. They're very specific. August 12th. 12th yeah. I mean, this isn't, this isn't August, like, you know, the 31st is still August. Okay. August 12th. 
I wonder if the uh, if the we've got to get got to get this done before Galaxy's Edge opens uh, thing is coming into play there. Oh God, yes. Okay, all right. Because it was June, and it was, but it was like a casual June, like yeah, you know, summer, mm-hmm. fall, it'll all be fine. But now they're like, well, we're gonna, you know, end of August. There should be a, a bajillion people here. Maybe we should be open in, in, by then. Well, and speaking of which, that brings us to your next item. Right on uh, on Monday, I said on Twitter that on May first. Disney would begin enforcing new size restrictions on strollers in the parks. I specifically mentioned the Keen 7S, which is a cart-like stroller. Jim, the reaction was far more than I imagined. Yeah. Well, if you're that type of parent who loves leaving the house with 12 different outfits and a buffet for your child, you need the Keen 7. Well, if you're gonna if you're gonna be in the parks all day, mm-hmm. there's something to be said for you know, preparing yep. for it. Mm-hmm. I see there were a lot of very passionate people on both sides of this mm-hmm. when I said it. Some fairly well-reasoned arguments on both sides. This came to pass on Thursday that mm-hmm. Disney announced that beginning on May 1st, there will be new size restrictions on strollers. So strollers can't be wider than 31 inches and 52 inches long. They also specifically ban stroller wagons and wagons were already banned as well. So mm-hmm. What do you think is uh, is driving this? Just like as you mentioned with the the NBA thing, this this is all on the back of Galaxy's Edge. We've had Project Stardust out on the West Coast where they pulled down curbs and they widened walkways. Oh, you know, I, I think this is. I, I heard this is entirely a, a Stardust thing that it can do. This is directly from Stardust. It's yeah, part of the. Yeah, it's like another another box to check on the Stardust to do list. But you know, but at the same time, when you think about what parents spend on these strollers and the fact that how are you absolutely going to guarantee that every parent knows this? I mean. Can you imagine how the frontline employees, you know, are going to handle Yeah, I know. This? Can you imagine the cast members at the beginning who were the tape measure? Oh. So what I understand they're going to do is they're going to have a box, mm-hmm. either, a, you know, either some sort of like tape thing on the uh, on the ground and, and, and say, you know, your stroller is too big. But here's what, uh, here's what I understand, and I'm yeah. not sure that this is policy yet, so don't quote me on this. Okay. But from what I understand, uh, um, if you have a stroller, you bring a stroller that's too big, you'll get a voucher for a free stroller that com- uh, complies. Okay. So then, you'll no. just, we'll just store your one stroller somewhere. Oh. Uh, and you'll get a you'll get a compliance stroller of course. first time. Evidently, they've rented the warehouse where the, the Ark of the Covenant is kept because you know they, <laughs> they're going to need strollers. that much space. And it's just Len, you do enough flying. You've seen the pantomime theater where you know you're checking in. You know, oh, don't get me started, Jim. Don't get me started. <laughs> you know. I was at I was at the airport last week, two yep. weeks ago. Yep. And going through the security line, and I thought to myself. Mm-hmm. How is it possible that this many people ahead of me mm-hmm. are completely surprised by the fact that they're in an airport this morning? Like, apparently today was the wrong day to wear my chainmail underwear. Like, what, what, what were you thinking when you got in the car this morning to go to the airport? Yep. yep. Did you did you think at all that you were going to go through a metal detector? Was it? Did it you? And don't get me again. I don't want to get started. That's a whole separate subject. And I'm in, I'm in a good place right now, Jim. Okay. All right. We'll, but, we'll, we'll move on. But again, I, I'm always startled when I'm in my seat and seeing somebody come down the aisle with, with their grand piano, which, which of course they're planning on putting on the overhead. I've, I've stopped. Mm-hmm. I'm, I've just, I've just accepted it and I've moved on. All right. Fair okay. um, Jim, also in this announcement though, around the uh, strollers, a couple of other things. One, the parks are now smoking free. Mm-hmm. And then also no more loose ice cubes or dry ice in coolers. What's motivating Disney to make these changes, Jim? Okay, dry ice, we can actually trace that back 
to May of 2013. I don't know if you heard about this Disneyland. Was this the garbage can thing? Yeah. Okay, that's exactly what I thought it was. Okay. Employee thought they'd be funny. They put dry ice in a plastic soft drink bottle and put it in a trash can. and, And then the dry ice melts and it explodes and panic ensues and uh, by november of that year this kid was you know this 20 well 22 year old was pleading guilty to planting two dry ice bombs and so especially moving you know into this post galaxy's edge phase with giant Mm. crowds and what's anticipated for the 50th anniversary it's like okay let's just take this off the table because okay even today there was all these reports suddenly coming out of the Disney village at Disneyland Paris. And same thing. It was just one of these things where it's like, it was yeah. a loud noise. Nothing happened, yep. but, but everybody panicked. And we're just, we're in that headspace now. Yeah. Uh, with that many people that are going to be in the parks, you don't want to, no. to cause a no. panic. On the other hand, the loose ice cubes. Yeah. I was told that that was actually an attorney checklist thing that is like, yep. You drop ice cubes on the ground, somebody slips, they fall, they sue us. Exactly what I heard, too. Exactly the same thing, that it's a slip and fall risk. Yeah. That they, you know, you, you reach into the cooler, you pull out a drink, a couple of ice cubes come with it, you move on, nope, somebody walks by, doesn't see the ice cube, slips and falls on it. So I am looking forward to the, the day when, as I am entering a Disney theme park, I have to put on my mandatory bubble room. A wrap suit. <laughs> it's a tough world out there, Jim. It's a tough world. By the way, we drained the water because that was dangerous too. So. Yeah, there's a mold problem, so we, we there we go. It. There we go. All I gotta say about the uh, the stroller policy changes, Jim, is that if uh, people are upset by that, wait until they see what's in store with FastPass, and I will leave it at that. Okay. All right, more news, mm-hmm. uh, Jim. The ABC commissary at Disney's Hollywood Studios goes to reservations after 4 p.m. Jim. The commissary's ratings, like their satisfaction ratings, are like 77%, mm-hmm. much below average. Why is the park making this change now? Think about the crowds now that stand in front of the Chinese theater to watch the projection show every night. And in a, about three months' time, we'll have Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway open. The one-two mm-hmm. punch there of people... Lined up to do Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway, coupled with the folks coming out for the projection. The belief is, look, strictly from a proximity point of view, we have a lot of people who are going to be looking to eat and not go terribly far. So it's like, okay. you know, let's make this available. And and also... I, I get that, though. I get, I get, you know, we need a place for people to eat. Mm-hmm. But why ABC Commissary and dinner reservations? Starting... At roughly about four o'clock or thereabouts, people were like, oh, we've got that nighttime thing. Can we stick in this area? And because of uh, what's happening with Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway, you know, mm-hmm. have you been there where they do the dessert parties in kind of the courtyard area? Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, that's got to change. Oh, right. Because there'll be an actual ride there again. There we go. <laughs> All right. All right. Yeah. That's a lovely spot, though, for reception. Oh, it, it was, is. Uh, I walked, it is. Yeah. When was it? Uh, what was it? Friday? Thursday? Mm-hmm. There was one going on. They were just setting up for it. it. I mean, when the sun starts setting, you get a little bit of shade. It, you know, you wander out among the uh, handprints in the concrete, trying to figure out who's who. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's lovely. Yeah. And again, I remember once falling into Kevin Costner's handprints. Very large man. I was kind of surprised. Whom, whom, whom so. among us hasn't, uh, <laughs> hasn't done that? 
Yeah, the thing that uh, the thing that baffles me though is why reservations? Like, does do they think the park needs another sit down restaurant? I'm not sure there. When you factor in what's going to happen, Galaxy's Edge wise, coupled with Mickey and Minnie's and the popularity yeah. of the projection mm-hmm. show, they honestly believe that they can. You know, it's like, look, you're in the park. Don't you want to have a reservation? Don't you want to be guaranteed a place right. to get a meal? Oh, okay. So that, that makes more sense. Yeah. The certainty of a reservation. Yeah. All right. Uh, speaking of uh, eating in the parks, I was walking by Starring Rules Bakery on Saturday, I think, mm-hmm. Jim. And uh, any any idea if that's going to reopen? That seems like it's uh, they're going to need all the food serving space that they can get. The last that I heard, Disney wants to see how the Lightning McQueen Driving Academy does. If this is as popular as we think it is, it's then going to put a drag on those things that are up in the the Sunset Market area. And those were all pretty crowded. I was looking at exactly that mm-hmm. over the weekend. Mm-hmm. Like, if if more people start coming down this way, mm-hmm. what does that do in terms of food service queue times? Mm-hmm. Where do people sit? Things like that. You know, how does how does it affect the ability to walk around these things? That's exactly what I was looking at. Yeah, and that's that's actually a gauntlet of fast food stands starting from about the middle of uh, Sunset Boulevard and going all the way back, even even into the Rock and Roller Coaster. Mm-hmm. Going back into there, there's what two or three food stands back there. But should Starring Rolls reopen, it's not going to be what it was. One of the conditions of Starbucks coming into the parks, and there can't be something within, I want to say it's 100 yards. Oh, yeah, and that's that's basically across the corner street. There from. you go. So it will come back with different food items, but it, it won't do coffee. It won't do the stuff that those of us who, who love that, you know, just this little mm-hmm. quiet spot on Sunset where you could sit and have an osh and, you know, wait to meet up with friends and... I imagine that when the Starring Rules Cafe reopens, mm-hmm. you're going to have a bunch of Streetmosphere characters in 1940s dockside workers. <laughs> Outfits carrying baseball bats, walking up to the proprietor saying, nice cupcakes you got there. A shame if anything would happen to them. Uh, okay. <laughs> Maybe it'll just sell kale. Okay. You know, <laughs> Salads. There we go. Salads. They, I mean, did, I, did we say cupcakes? Did we say rolls? There we go. There we go. <laughs> roughage. Really Get your roughage. Carrots. Raw carrots. There That's what we're selling today. Okay. Raw carrots. <laughs> All right, Jim. Uh, one more quick uh, thing in the news. Mm-hmm. I'm told that when Galaxy's Edge uh, first opens, obviously, it's going to be uh, in, in Disneyland. It's going to be uh, reservation-only access for the first month. Mm-hmm. But then after that month is up, that reservation system is going to be replaced with something like some combination of like fast pass and airline style boarding group. Like congratulations, you're in group a board between these two times. So there'll be like different boarding groups, A, B and C and so on. Why are they doing that and not just switching over to fast pass for Disneyland? This reservation system, as it's set up for Anaheim will not show up for Orlando, but that's because the Anaheim version of galaxy's edge, has three entrances. So we're trying to spread people out. So it's like, oh, you're in boarding group A. That means you go up to the top of Big Thunder Trail and you enter into the uh, the marketplace area. Oh, is that really, a, that's how it's going to be a different, oh, that makes sense. Yeah. For Orlando, however, you've only got the two entrances. And Orlando at this point is still convinced that we're going to have to send people in one entrance and have them go out the other entrance. I mean, they're still convinced it's going to be a tsunami of people 
Anaheim, you know, is taking a more nuanced approach. And on the back of those two weeks of mostly being a reservation-based system and, you know, with preference yeah, being given I, to people. I heard a month, but yeah. Yeah, they're hoping to really learn a lot. But this is this is what they're prepping to hit immediately after that. It's like, okay, we spent a month learning how people move about in this land and the whole ABC definition they anticipate that because Rise of the Resistance will not be open, the primo entrance, the people who want to you know, get on Smuggler's Run, they're going to mm-hmm. want to enter through the entrance that's dead center on Big Thunder Trail. Exactly. That's what I think is going to happen when, the, uh, when Rise of the Resistance isn't open, right? Yeah. So on your side of the fence, Len trying to work out the you know the Turing plan for this thing uh-huh. <laughs> there's some incredible behind the scenes uh programming that's going on just to uh make sure that we route people in the right way go with god Len. go with god <laughs> exactly right <laughs> all right folks coming up after our break jim talks about disney's california adventure 1.0 and then 2.0 we'll be right back All right, Jim, we've been doing our chronological Disneyland series for a few years now, and it looks like we're nearing the end. So today we're going to go over DCA from about uh, 1999 on, mm. and we've got two more shows after that, right? Basically. We do have to do a little buttoning up first of the new Tomorrowland project, because what happened with the new Tomorrowland project from a budgetary point of view really did come back to bite DCA in a big way, and, and in fact, that's what ultimately led to California uh, Adventure 2.0. But anyway, okay, so May 1998, uh, New Tomorrowland opens at Disneyland, $100 billion spent on this thing. And wow. Eisner at the time, you know, gets quizzed about, so why'd you do this? Why'd you spend $100 million? Attendance dropped by 5% last year. Is this a response to that? And Michael's, no, 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 no. This is not about you know, attracting more visitors. This is about making Disneyland more fabulous. Maybe what he really should have said is more fracturous because New Tomorrowland opens May 22nd, 1998. By July 6th of that year, Rocket Rods, the the signature attraction, the thing that was supposed to provide all the kinetics and all the mm-hmm. excitement for the land, closes. Suddenly people come into the morning of the park and say, why is it shut down? They decided, you know, when they were building this thing and we had... GM Fallout as a, a would-be sponsor of this thing. So they had to build it on the cheap. And that meant okay. not banking the track. So what was happening? Remember, and this is the, the record. It was supposed to be the, the fastest ride ever built at Disneyland. It won, it, you know, in certain stretches, it was going to go 35 miles an hour. It was going to cover the three-quarter of a mile track that the people mover used to do in 16 minutes in three. Wow. But what was happening, because they hadn't banked the track, was the vehicles were accelerating, decelerating, accelerating, decelerating, which was sending these vibrations down into the support poles. And so one day, you know, there's a Disneyland safety inspector just walking around the park and looks at the base of one of the old people mover things, and it's like, that's a crack. Ooh. And then he's like, okay, let me get a couple other guys in here. And they walk the full length of the track, and it's like, these things are cracked. Evidently what was happening because of the constant deceleration, acceleration, vibrations were going down into the, the, the bases of these support stanchions. And what ends up happening there is what was supposed to be a f- five-week shutdown became a three-month-long shutdown. Really? Yeah. And then they'd get it up and running 
And then things would happen like a rocket rod would come around a corner, the brakes would clamp on, and a brake shoe would fly off. Oh, jeez. Clearly, this was something that this is not working the way it's supposed to. Right. Something, something's off here. Yeah. So by September of 2000, Rocket Rods closes for what was initially announced. So like, look, we're going to be closed till spring of 2001. And, you know, we'll have this up in time for the grand opening of California Adventure. That never happens, Len. In the end, cost overruns on California Adventure, coupled with the fact that it's like, when Disney looked at what it was going to cost to bank the track and reinforce all the supports, it made no sense, you know, from, from a business point of view. So what was amazing is Cynthia Harris, the then president of the Disney Resort, straightforward, you know, the one, then she was asked by the Los Angeles Times, oh, well, what's happening here? It's like, look, mm -hmm. this high-speed attraction was never able to perform to its design show standards. We're going to close it. Now, it literally said it's a budget-conscious decision what failed here was we made a budget-conscious decision to run these high-speed vehicles on the People Movers Unbanked track. And so it closed and never came back. Wow. So, I mean, but Imagineering had to do all kinds of studies on this to see if it would work. I mean, they did a bunch of, uh, a bunch of work on it, right? This is after Disney had dealt with that very scary period after the opening of Euro Disney in 1992, where that damn near took down the company. And so mm -hmm. everybody started cutting corners wherever they could. Oh, right. This is a few, this is only a few years after that, right? Yeah. This is 99, still in the 90s. Okay, fair enough. At one point when Disney was trying to find the money to do this fix, they announced that they were going to be closing the subs in September of 1998. I mean, the, the whole notion was, okay, so we'll open New Tomorrowland in May of 1998, and we'll keep the subs up till September, just in okay. case, you know, we have some operational issues, and we have to shut down some rides for the day, and, and that sort of thing. But by the end of summer, we'll have figured out all the bugs, and then we can take down the subs and make them go away forever, because 1992 financial decision, you know, here in 1998 having an impact. The subs cost too much to maintain. The subs cost too much to operate. Right. But here's the thing. There's this set of Imagineers that love the subs. So what okay. happens is the week before New Tomorrowland opens, again, May 22nd, 1998, May 17th, people walk into the park and like, wow, what's going on with the subs? There's, there's one sub that's in a dry dock, and they built like a Quonset hut structure over it. I remember when this happened. Yeah, there's a banner on the outside that, that said, Atlantis Expedition, Imagineering Preparation Base. But this was, like, it was there for like 20 minutes. Oh, yeah. Well, that's the thing. The Disneyland management had totally decided they were going to shut down the subs. And so what the Imagineers thought they'd do is they set up a mock-up of what they wanted to do and that they would change Disneyland management's mind. <laughs> was keying off of a movie that was still three years away from release land. I get you know, Atlantis, the lost empire wouldn't even arrive in theaters till June of 2001, but they had mocked up this, this well, again, I, I sent you a copy of the poster today did, did you take a look at that thing for the yeah Atlantean I mean, it's a great looking poster yeah the gimmick is it's the image you know from the 1950s of the sub the key difference though is the submarine is 
in this giant mechanical claw of a claw, yeah. lobster-like a thing. Yeah. And, I, and the catchphrase across the top of the poster is, don't waste your air screaming. And this is the ride they were pitching. The, the redo of the subs was going to be called the Atlantean Encounter. And for those of you who don't remember Atlantis of the Lost Empire, they were, the idea was this uh, Preston Whitmore, this eccentric millionaire in 1914, puts together this expedition to search for Atlantis. And he, he builds this, but then state-of-the-art sub, the Ulysses. And as it's proceeding into the, the North Atlantic, seeking out where Atlantis supposedly existed, it basically trips off the mechanical guardian that's guarding the entrance to where Atlantis is. And it's this giant lobster-like creature called the Leviathan. And in the movie, this creature actually takes down the Ulysses, and the cast only escapes through uh, escape pods and mini-subs and, and the like. So the concept for the ride the Imagineers wanted to do was it's now 90 years later, because this thing was supposed, this ride was supposed to open in 2003. It's been 90 years. Surely the creature that took down the Ulysses is no longer there or no longer sure. operational. But, you know, we're going to retrace the sub. So we're going to find out what happened to that sub. So you get on the sub, you go through. And I know you and I have talked about the Toontown trolley attraction that Disney at one point was going to do, that they were yep. going to use a permeable plastic with the notion that they could make it bow in. In fact, the, the gimmick of that ride was at one point, Roger Rabbit was supposed to crash on the roof of the trolley and his shape was supposed to bow in. But Disney still hadn't used that technology and now they were going to because in this case your sub was was going to head toward the entrance of atlantis and then suddenly you were going to awaken the leviathan who was going to reach out with its claw and then suddenly the walls bow in because you're in the claw of the lobster and it shakes you back and forth and water sprays in and you know it was, was supposed to be in much the same way that that you know for example with the original star tours they're there was this moment in the beginning where George Lucas insisted, you know, for the first 30 seconds, the mm -hmm. Star Tours simulator has to move like it's Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. You have to feel like it's okay. It's it's on a track. It's like every Disney yeah. ride. And then it suddenly goes nuts. Right. Everything will be fine until it's not. Yeah. And so that was the notion with the subs. They were going to invent this mechanism where you thought you're riding on that rail that you can see as you look down on the water. And suddenly it's like... I am being lifted up. I am being shaken. It's like, what is going on? Wow. Yeah. So it was going to be, you were going to have at each seat on the sub gloves. Well, there, there was a version where it was gloves. There was a version where you were controlling a grabber, but you were looking out the window at jewels and coins scattered on the ground uh, on the sea floor, and you would be able to manipulate the grabber and collect coins and collect jewels. And suddenly you're competing with your fellow riders to see who's going to take the most treasure. But then, of course, you get attacked by the Leviathan. Right. You have to drop ballast because you're now your vehicle is damaged. And as you're getting off the ride, the, the cast member is like, look, I'm sorry. You know, we, we had to dump all the jewels. But, you know, there was enough left in the catch basin that everybody gets a coin. And so, you know, as you, you got off the, the vessel, everybody was handed a genuine Atlantis of the Lost Empire coin. I wonder how they would pull that all off just from an engineering perspective. I mean, the walls of a submarine bowing in and out, 
sound like a terrible engineering idea, you know? (laughs) (laughs) No, I totally agree. But they had figured out how to do it. And not only that, again, they had put the sub in a maintenance dock. And and the idea was, you know, we're going to bring these Disney executives down before they open the new Tomorrowland and show them what phase two of the land is. And as you mentioned, Len, they came down. They were furious. They made them tear the banner off of the building. And it became this really ugly moment between... Disneyland management and Imagineering with Marty Scalar, who was then the vice chairman of the company, saying that he would lay down in the middle of Harbor Boulevard before they would close the subs without anything coming in to replace them. I remember all of this. Yeah. Marty didn't do that. And the subs closed in uh, September of 1998. And the interesting thing is because the U.S. Navy had commissioned the subs... When they first came online in 1959, they actually had to send an admiral out to decommission them. There was a formal ceremony held in really? the park. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Anyway, maybe in the end this was a good thing because when Atlantis of the Lost Empire finally came out in 2001, was, yeah. wasn't exactly a success. This is what drives the Disney company is successes. That mm-hmm. when you have a hit film, you turbocharge the company and you, you get stuff in the parks and and think about it we had two years after atlantis comes out and disappoints we have finding nemo which you know it cost 94 million dollars to make but made 940 million dollars worldwide wow that's a return yeah jump ahead to january of 2006 and again bob Iger buys pixar outright for 7.4 billion dollars and in the 18 months between when disney bought pixar to when the submarines reopened to Disneyland as the Finding Nemo uh, submarine voyage, Disney opened four Nemo-themed attractions of size. We got the Nemo and Friends uh, replacing the Living Seas Pavilion. We got Finding Nemo the Musical opening at the Animal Kingdom at Disney Studios Paris. We got the Crush's Coaster, and of course we got the Finding Nemo submarine voyage, which cost $70 million to put in. So, wow. Yeah, these things were not inexpensive. To sort of bring this to a close now, I know there are a lot of folks now, we're, we're a week to 10 days now since the Walt Disney Company finished its acquisition of Fox. Disney pays $7.4 billion for Pixar and within 18 months has four attractions based on Pixar things open in the parks. Yep. The Walt Disney company just paid 71.4. 10 times as much money. Yeah. yeah. You know, and those folks who say, Oh, there's no way Fox stuff is coming into the parks. You're deluding yourself in much the same way that back in 2006, 2007, Disney was looking to get her, you know, a immediate return on, on that huge investment. Same thing with Fox right now. So get ready. It's coming. Definitely. Speaking of of coming, I promise we'll get the DCA stuff next time. Two installments and we're out and we can all move on with our lives. (laughs) We'll just start uh, with Walt Disney World. There we go. All right, folks, that's going to do it for our show today. On next week's show, uh, Jim reviews the second half of the Universal Ride Survey that we talked about last week. And for more of our shows, head on over to DisneyDish.BandCamp.com. We are produced fabulously by Aaron Adams, whom The Guardian is talking up for the next British Prime Ministership. (laughs) Don't forget to go into iTunes and Radar Show and tell us what you'd like to hear next. For Jim, this is Len. We'll see you on the next show.